What's up, heroes, and welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 94. Before we get started with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that I've got my first track of 2022 dropping this Friday, and I couldn't be more excited. It's a really different sound for me. It's ragey, it's angry, and it's this electro house piece. But when you hear the lyrics, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with the outrage. Make sure you're following me on Spotify as House Ninja. That's just two words on Spotify. So you'll be one of the first ones to hear about it. And now, on to our guest. Today we're talking with Bruce Zalser from Panama. Bruce is a multi-instrumentalist who began with music in his teens playing in rock bands and DJing. After school, he largely left the scene and moved on to a more conventional life selling insurance and raising a family for many years until 2018 when he decided to return to the music scene. Since then, Bruce's unique approach to techno incorporating synthesizers, drum machines, and sound sampled from daily life has been making waves in the techno world. He's released a dozen tracks, including his Lifeblood EP, and already has tracks signed with some of the biggest labels in the industry, including Terminal M, 1605, and Codex Recordings. And his first live performance in 20 years was in Amsterdam for ADE. Finally, While there isn't a huge techno following in Panama, he's created Dialectic Live, which is an organization that is dedicated to growing that movement in that country. In this conversation, Bruce and I talk about how his metal background influenced his music, how he's leveled up his music production so quickly, his process for making a techno track, how he uses modular gear, and a whole lot more. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Bruce, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thanks a lot, Brian. Good to be here. It's going to be a good conversation. I'm excited to have a artist from Panama. You're the first one that we've had from down there. How's the weather down there right now? Well, right now we're, we're well, it's warm. It's always warm. And uh, we're starting right now our, um, our warm, our dry season, which is it's the best season of the year. It's... Um, dry and windy it's not as as humid as as the the rest of the year so you've got two seasons you've got warm and dry or warm and wet yeah basically (laughs) okay well uh so how did 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 you grow up in panama and and where did your background in music originally start yeah yes i was born here in panama um and uh, i guess um it's always listening to music in my my mother's car. We're like going places and stuff like that. And I started piano lessons. I think I was maybe five, six years old, and um, and that's where I started with with learning music, learning piano, learning uh, music theory, and um, then a couple of years later, I was uh, introduced to like. Guns and Roses and Metallica and stuff like that, and I, I really got a strong fascination with um, with hard rock and heavy metal, and um, wanted to learn guitar. And so a couple of years later, I picked up the guitar and bass. And uh, so it's been um, I've been a musician my whole life. You know, it's a, it's been always a part of my life. Music. Okay, awesome. I understand you also play the mandolin. 
I, I yes, I, I, I'm not an expert at, at it. I've, I've played it. I've had the instrument, and uh, I can, I can play it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So. Now, when you were growing up, were you in any bands or was this more of just a, you, you took lessons and were interested in it or did, did you do any performing when you were younger? Yeah, I, 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 I was in a band um, when I was relatively young. I was 12, 13 years old. Um, most of the band, the, all the band members were older than me. I think they were all, most of them were, old, were above 18, so... I wanted to start playing in bars and um, and clubs, and that got a little bit complicated for me. I was 13 years old, so I think I played I played in a in a bar. I know I, I'm not. I don't think I, I played in a couple of private parties, and then I played like in a in a bar on a, a public night, and my parents went to the bar. And but uh, well, I think that was like the last time I, I my parents were really happy with me going to bars at, at 13 um, to perform. Okay, so your your budding career got squashed by your parents at that point. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows if that hadn't happened, you might have been a uh, heavy metal hair rocker. Maybe, <laughs> probably, but or maybe I would have forgotten about music. Who knows? You know, everything everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. Okay, so th- that was kind of your high school years, and then after high school, where'd you go? Um, what what happened next? Okay, so um, when when I graduated high school, I, I became very interested in electronic music, and um, the electronic music scene was starting to 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 erupt here in Panama, and um, started going a lot to parties, and I started DJing. Um, but I I went to university at that time in the United States, and um, I bought I had all my DJ gear and was DJing in my room and. In, couple of things, but I, I, I really lost interest at that time, and I was more focused on, on the university and what was going on there, and um, I guess that, that I had, in a way, uh, forgotten about music as a career or as something that, that I could do professionally, so I was more, you know, you know, playing guitar once in a while or playing guitar during some times, and then... DJ and then bass, so I was more whatever felt good at that time. Um, so I just kept it um, in, as a hobby, and um, I was focusing more on what I was going to do uh, for work or for my professional life in general. Um, so I guess that the education that I had, I had, and and whatever. At that time, music, uh, at least my parents, who were very influential, I guess, when I was younger, um, the music was not, not something that, that could be, that seemed like a plausible career. And I think that made a lot of sort of sense, you know, because at that time, everything, a lot of things were limited. You know, the internet obviously wasn't there like it is today. We're talking almost 20 years ago. And um, so it was very hard for a Panamanian guy to be, you know, in music, and um, so I guess that I forgot about that, and um, okay. I, I started working. Okay, and and so you were in the states for your college years, and then you went back to Panama when you uh, started working. Yeah, I went. To, I went to. I went to school in Philadelphia. I graduated in two thousand four, and then 
couple of weeks later, uh, I was in Panama. Um, my family owns an insurance brokerage firm, or my father. Um, so I started working with him right away, and and, and that was supposed to be my my path or my my career, which I still do that until today. I'm, I'm an insurance. I'm the executive vice president of a, of an insurance brokerage firm. Okay. Well, I, I can certainly see how, since that's kind of a family business and tradition, there would be a lot of inertia to, you know, bring you back into the fold after your college years and maybe not want you to jump out into a music career, for example. Yes. Yeah. And there were, there were a couple of things that called my attention uh, that I wanted to do professionally. One was rock and roll and the other one was play baseball. And, and both of them weren't seen as a, as a very... Um, I don't know. I don't want to say good. I, I mean something that that could materialize. You know, they weren't seen as something uh, very probable. So I was, you know, more or less guided towards towards the family business. Yeah, and okay. more than a family, more than a it's, it's my father's business, which is even more personal. I think so. Um, yeah. Okay, so you spent that was two thousand four. So you spent. 14 years in the insurance business, were you still, were you still listening to electronic music, still playing keyboard and guitar a little uh, bit? I, I, mostly I was playing guitar and bass. I was really focused more on, 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 on hard rock, heavy metal. And I also liked jam bands a lot, like the Grateful Dead and Fish. So I played, you know, it depends on really on the, on the, on the, on the time period. I'd say maybe for a while I played bass, other time I played guitar. And so there wasn't any, anything electronic, really. Um, in, in the year 2017, I, uh, I went through a, a, a period of, of soul-searching, and, and I, real, I realized that I needed to do something else. Um, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do or, or what, I, what was it, if I wanted to study something, another career. Or, and um, I was open to a lot of things that I really wasn't open before to doing and I started listening to music that and I had listened before my my rock and roll years, some like early hip hop or stuff like that. And I had this listened to more like electronic trap music and stuff like that. And I really started liking it. And I said that I wanted to make that type of music. So I started uh, producing um, trap and sort of like loungy music. But um, I was always going more in my productions towards traditional electronic music um, or European style electronic music. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then one day I was, you know, going through YouTube and like, watching videos and I saw uh, Charlotte David like playing techno and, 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 and I'm like, I want to I wanna do that. I really wanted to do that. And um, I, I, I started to produce techno before um, when I started producing, I wanted to make music for other people. It was hard for me to show my face as a music producer because I identified myself as an insurance broker. So it was like another identity. And um, and going from a conservative type career where, you know, um, or that's at least the image that I had that um, then going into music was like a, a big jump. So I, I, it was for me, it was progressive, you know. Um, First, I was using uh, my other name, and I wanted to make 
music, like I said, music for other people to sing and stuff like that. And then got to a point where I said, you know, I'm going to make my own music. I'm going to use my name. I'm going to show my face. And and that's when, when really I, I became really identified with what I was doing. When I put my face into it, when I put my name. And, um, and I think that's when my music career started to pick up. Interesting. So... You, you originally didn't share a lot of personal detail because now when I look at your Instagram or your Facebook, I mean, you've got pictures of your family and your daughter and, you know, you, you talk directly to people in, in the microphone. You know, I know you did something about mental health recently. You know, you're very personable on there. How did you sort of make that adjustment from, hey, I'm going to be sort of an anonymous producer to I'm going to share who I really am? I started becoming more comfortable with with the idea of of me being a, uh, of what I was doing of being a musician or of of identifying myself as as Bruce and not as an insurance broker or as a music producer or as a father or as a husband, you know. And you know, Bruce can do whatever he feels like doing, and I don't need to put labels on myself. And um, it was a process, and, and but when I realized that, then um, I got comfortable with it. And uh, I, I guess I, I, was, I started to reconnect with who I was when I was younger, you know, more outgoing, more extroverted, and, um, and um, just doing what felt good. And, um, you know, there's a, there's, a con- there's a misconception that doing what feels good is doing you know, debauchery or, or extreme pleasures or stuff like that. And I, and I think that shouldn't be that way. You know, there, there is no, there's no need to sacrifice what we want for a higher, for a supposedly higher goal. There's this romantic idea that we need to sacrifice ourselves in order to, 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 you know, like a self, you know, and I think that, that that's really we don't need to do that you know we can be who we are and we can do what what feels good as long as we don't harm other people you know and um and i and i started to identify with that a lot with with, with that and I, and I started to put it in practice so it was okay. a process okay but you gradually started being i guess more authentic on social media and that that was when you really started to see things take off Yes, I, I guess that that more than more. I wouldn't say that I wasn't authentic before, but I wasn't. Um, I was using another like even when 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 you use like a suit like for me like with, when I, I was using my initials and all my full name. So you know you can always you know it's easier to be on the back you know on the not to be you know on the forefront. So I would say that 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 putting my name there and just it, it made me it made I don't know what if it made me be if it made me be more real but it made me identify myself more with, with what I was doing. I guess more more responsible I guess of of what I was doing. Hmm. Okay. So may so and I'm, I'm I'm kind of fascinated with this because it's sort of where I am in terms of being a producer because I'm I, I'm an anonymous producer. I go by House Ninja. I wear a mask when I'm out in public, and so you know I don't share a lot of personal details for for various reasons. 
so I'm I'm kind of interested in how your opening up really positively impacted your your career here. Yeah, yeah. So thank yeah, you, thank I, you for sharing that. Yeah, yes, I, I, if I had to summarize, I would say like putting my name in in, in something uh, makes me more responsible. If I want to give a good name to, for for doing it, um, in a way in in for doing it like at least you know. I, when I when I put myself out, when I when I try to be who I am, you know, in front of, of everyone. So I guess the same thing translated here, you know. Is it is it kind of you feel, you know, you're attaching your name and your face to it, so it makes you more, I guess, responsible is the best word. That's that that is who you are, and so you want to do the best that you can. Is that is that kind of the idea? In, in a way, in a way, in, and uh, in another way, it's. Um, I guess that putting my name just makes makes the whole thing about who I am. I mean, in in, in a way that that Bruce Salser, for example, that's my full name. I am a husband. I'm a father. I'm a I'm this and that. So it encompasses my identity. You know, my, yeah. my so I, I wouldn't say that it was something that I thought of. Um, I, I, I guess that's more of what I felt when it happened. You know. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you. So you, who was it you said you stumbled across on YouTube that kind of really that, that pivotal moment where you said, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to make techno. Yeah, I, I saw, I was seeing Charlotte David, the, the Belgian, um, she's like a techno superstar. And more than anything, I was just hearing the, the techno, like the, the famous techno kick and, and just hitting and bad. It, it resembled a lot like heavy metal, you know, like that intense pumping sound. And, um, and I was so I was searching of what what type of music I wanted to make. All my latest productions at that time were more electronic, were more you know type of like dance music. And um, so I guess you know things collided, and and that's um, that's how it happened. Yeah, that's interesting. I always thought in my mind I always connected sort of the heavy metal style closer to like dubstep because when you watch people dancing to heavy metal you know the head banging that's exactly what you see still you know at the rail at, at a dubstep festival but you don't really do that to techno yeah uh, yeah i i guess that that i think that the dubstep maybe it's faster it's uh it's wilder but i think that the that the melodies also the the, the mix between between the intensity of the rhythm and then like the melodic, some melodic breaks in techno can also, um, you know, compare to, to that type of metal, you know, when like Metallica type of metal, you have like a strong rhythms and then like a more melodic emotive, like emotive break where, where there's more um, type of like a, maybe a classical music influence. Um, making these melodies and, uh, and arrangements. So, Okay. W- would you say that's the main way your interest, your, your early experience with heavy metal has influenced your techno is, is sort of in the arrangements and the emphasis on melodic elements? Or are there other ways that your guitar and metal background have influenced your production now? Um. I guess that that I've trend, I've taken in a, in a lot of a lot of times when I'm producing I've, I've imagined whatever comes later in the music um, as if I was playing guitar 
or base. And um, yeah, for example, like I would imagine like the arrangement of, uh, again, like, like the other day I was producing something and I'm like remembering like Metallica's song, like Welcome Home, like Sanitarium. And I'm like, I want to do that in techno. And, and it's not something conscious. It's just something that like, pops up, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it, it has definitely influenced, definitely um, influenced the, the, the creation of melodies and, and arrangements, but mostly the, the creating melodies in, 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 in techno with, with that background or with that um, influence, you know? Okay. And how did you... You know, you had a classical music background, so you understood chord structures and and that and general arrangements and such. How did you learn the technical aspects of working in a DAW and eventually getting into some modular stuff? Yeah, I um, I I started taking watching uh, lessons in, in YouTube, and I realized that I, I needed feedback. Uh, first of all, I wanted to learn. I wanted to have a structure learning. Uh, for the doll, and then I wanted feedback on whatever I was doing, and I real and 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 so I went to different uh, online platforms and started getting private tutors um, for learning. First, I learned Logic, and then I learned like all machine and native instruments, and then I learned Ableton. Um, so it was uh, a process of learning the technical aspects of the of the software, which I I think that that. A lot of people say, you know, I'm going to produce, I'm going to learn Ableton. I'm like, okay, learning Ableton is one thing, but or learning how to use a DAW is one thing, but you need to learn how to produce also. It's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, first I learned how to use the software, and obviously you, I, I produce at the same time because you learn by, by producing. So I learned both things at the same time, but mostly focus on learning the software and then I, I I looked for the same thing you know online tutorials and private tutors to learn how to make techno how to do certain things and, and still until today sometimes I have lessons with with people that I you know we don't we don't we don't know I don't think you never stop learning and there's always something new that you can learn and uh, that's that's how it's, I did it Okay. Were these were these people that um, were advertising? Hey, I've I've got an online producer school. Come join this, and you know we've got mentors and such. Or was this you reached out to a techno artist that you really liked and said, Hey, can you spend an hour with me and I'll pay you? No, I initially I I, I really went to like online um, either schools or platforms that that offer the different people who want to do like freestyling or. Not freestyling, you know, uh, freelancing. Sorry, um, and I hired a couple of people there, and I and, and it went well. And um, and then um, I've also had you know lessons with with private with people with artists I admire. So a lot of times they offer the services during the pandemic. Um, a lot of artists started you know giving private lessons, stuff like that. And and that really I think that that was really useful for me. Okay. So for, especially for techno, what would you, what were some of the key things, sort of the, the big insights that you had with your tutors about, you know, key elements in techno? What, what were some of those big aha moments that 
you took away from your tutors? Different ways to 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 do the rhythm rhythmic part of the of the tracks, especially the kick and uh, and the percussions, which um, which are are crucial for any techno track. Uh, I would say not only techno, many genres of electronic music. The kick is basic, and uh, it can we can make or break a track. So having a, that solid. Um, a solid foundation um, was something that really, really helped a lot. And something that, that was really important advice that I get, and I think that's something that, that's struggled to for, for every producer from, from someone who's starting until you know, a seasoned producer is learning to not put, not put a lot of things in the track. You know, there's always this uh, impulse to add something, to add as if, as, if, as, if, as if adding will make better. And I think like in, like in any art, it's, it's, uh, it's not only what you put in, but what you don't put in that, that can create a, a, a good piece of art or a good painting or, you know, you, sometimes you don't need to, so many colors, you know. You put so many colors, and it's not. So it's a it's a it's a balance between between learning what to to add and learning to stop or not to, to not to not add anything else. What what advice would you offer a new producer who's trying to decide? All right, well, am I going to throw an extra percussion element in, or I'm going to put in a little arpeggio here? How how would you advise them to determine whether or not? to keep it or, or just leave it out? It's, uh, it sounds good without it. Um, then it's probably better without it. Um, the advice that I can give anybody is to stand up, walk around, give it a day. Um, and uh, and see how it sounds and, and start working in, in, in with the elements that you have inside the track sometimes you can automate something you can add a delay you can add effects you can add effects you can do certain things with the elements that you already have and, and if you put something very practical is try not to add more than one thing every 30 every you know 32 beats you know only add for for techno in particular. Only add one new <clears throat> one new thing every thirty two beats or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, I, I think I'm guilty of that. I tend to be rather impatient with my tracks. I'm like, I want to do something now. I want want something new, and uh, I have trouble going further than like sixteen bars. But I do more kind of dance pop type stuff. So obviously, there aren't any set rules. I mean, you have to do what sounds good for each track. But I would say that that, if, that definitely for somebody who's starting. The, the less you put, the better, because you need to be very good with what you're putting in. And if you're putting in a lot of stuff, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have the experience to 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 put everything together, you know. Yeah. I, so when you're building out your arrangement, I've heard I'm part of a group, the Producer Dojo, and and Ill Gates. It's mostly bass music, but they teach. Uh, one way of producing is to kind of build out, you know, an eight or 16 bar loop of way too many elements. And then you kind of start subtracting elements and then spreading it out. Um, once you find that sort of core eight or 16 bar loop, where do you begin your tracks? 
I begin my uh, yeah I've heard that and 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 some people work like that um uh, but I can't I work I work linearly linearly okay I start from the beginning I okay. start from the beginning and I start building the track and yeah sometimes I'll I'll, I'll let's say if I'm working on on or an eight bar loop or on eight bars, for example, not on a loop. I'm working on the thing and then I put like three, four elements while I'm, I have an idea. And then I'm like, this is too much for, for, for this part of the track. I'll move it for later. But I don't, I don't work with that way. I, I, I usually start my tracks with the kick and I start building kick, bass, percussion and whatever feels good. And okay. Go you've, you've, you mentioned kick multiple times, and obviously that's a critical element for techno and, and a lot of EDM. Um, can you give us a few tips for how you um, build a good techno kick? It's kind of hard to do in here, but um, try to, a lot of kicks come with a bass, you know, try to, to separate the, the kick from, from the rumble and, and have them in different channels so you can you can uh, tweak everything the way that, that yours you can do it. There's there's ways of cutting frequencies and, and separating that. I think that 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 that's a good way to do it. Um, to always have the kick. Um, there's a relationship in techno, a lot of techno between you know um, like a call like a call answer between the kick and the rumble. And a lot of sample packs will put kick and rumble in the same file or in the same wave or whatever. Um, and I realized that it's better to separate them and to, so you can process everything separately with the, the right effects. And, and also with the kick, a lot of people are putting a lot of, I've seen tutorials in YouTube that there's so many things on the, on the, on the kick channel, like, Compressors and limiters, and, and then you put something to raise the volume and something to 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 balance it or something. You know, it, sometimes like not put a lot of processing in the in the in the kick. Find a good good sample. And that's a that's a, basically that's that's a key to everything. <laughs> yeah. When I was looking over your Instagram, I noticed you've got lots and lots of gadgets in your studio, lots of keyboards and modular stuff. And and can you tell us about your workflow and how you use your you're you're an ableton you use ableton or you use logic for your production usually mostly ableton i have a logic as well but mostly Ableton. okay so how how do the modular sense play into your uh production well it's not only modular i have other other type of synthesizers and um usually a lot of times what i do is i create samples with with my with my um, external gear, um, I'll, I'll create. You know, I'm playing around the studio and I start recording. And sometimes when I'm like when I'm playing around with my gear, I get an idea of what I could use in a song. Then I know when I'm making a song, like okay, maybe like this thing that we tried out the other day, let's try to use it here. I guess that it depends a lot on 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 the type of track. A lot of the of the gear that I that I have I use for for inspiration and and just I'm a hands-on guy I, I like to touch 
the, the I'm an instrument type of person, so uh, maybe that comes from the guitars and stuff like that. And um, I I couldn't make the same thing I make with not the same thing, but I couldn't make you know with a with a plugin I couldn't play guitar the way I play the guitar. And I guess that's the same thing for me sometimes with the synthesizers. Um, what I what I make with a with a synth, you know, um, it's kind of hard to replicate. Um, this is a feeling, you know, with with plugging. So um, that's that's how I use my my synths. You know, um, it depends a lot. I, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I make my tracks only with with external gear or mostly with external gear. Mostly, I use a computer. Um, for my tracks. But you're creating some of the original sounds on the external gear and then you're sampling them and, and then using them in your tracks? Yes. That's with the but with the modular mostly. With the other type of synths, I do use them in the productions. Okay. For somebody that's looking to buy their first external piece of gear, you know, so a, a producer that's mostly in the box right now just working on Ableton and SoftSense, do you have a favorite piece of sort of beginner external gear you could recommend? I think that the, I mean, it really depends on your budget. Like the, the Moog synthesizers, I think are, are really, you know, for techno, they're really good synths, but you know, they're, they're kind of pricey or they can be pricey. I think that Korg makes really good um, synths, like the monologue, the minilogue are, are interesting synths. And, and basically I would recommend one of those. Okay. Great. Well, let's let's talk about your most recent release. You've got a new EP that uh, came out, your your Lifeblood EP, which was two tracks and a DJ tool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, Lifeblood and Slave to Desire? Yeah. Um, Lifeblood. It's um it's a more aggressive track than the tracks that I, I usually make. Um, I. And um, I made it a while ago, and I know I guess I was I was listening to a lot of stronger or heavier music um, around the middle of last year. Um, I was listening to a lot of raw techno after basically I had been listening to big time techno for for a while. I just sort of got bored, a little bit bored, and I was listening to a lot of raw music, and I wanted to make roar type of music and that's where lifeblood came and um we're slave to desire um i was playing i was um last year when everything was closer and um we moved to, to like a beach town for a couple of months and i was just one day i was it was like a lunch break and i was sitting in my computer and i was playing with a guitar plugin actually <laughs> and, <laughs> and i started making a melody for and that's where, where Slave to Desire came from. Um, it's a very yeah. different type, type of track with pianos. and um, So I like it a lot. I, I like it a lot. It's, very, it's a very different EP than what I usually make. Yeah, it's 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 really good. I, I um, Lifeblood reminded me, you know, sort of this peak driving techno. Um, do you know Sam Wolf? Yes. Yeah. It reminded me of some of, some of his stuff, um, sort of similar dark driving huge synth sounds 
the chat. It's, it's an awesome EP. So I will, I will definitely link that in there. Um, and then your most recent release, uh, Are We Dreaming? Is that's your most recent one? No, Are We Dreaming was before Light Blood. It was a, a part of a compilation um, with Terminal M, which was a very big step for me because Terminal M was one of the top labels in techno, most respected labels. So to be able to release um, a track there um, within my first year of, of having made a release was very was very big. Um, that is awesome. Which track is that? Are We Dreaming. Are We Dreaming. Okay. And that's done really well on Spotify. Um, that's that's the most recent one. Um, so how did you how did you get that release with Terminal M? Um, well, I sent the tracks and, and Monica uh, took it. it. It took a while, but... <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, ju- you just submitted it and they liked it and that was there was no uh, relationship building with them in their Discord channel or anything. It was just, hey, here it is, and, and they liked it. I don't think a lot of labels in techno have a, a Discord channel. Okay. All right. I've, so I've, I've interviewed a lot of different producers across different, different genres and I'm, I'm struck. Julian Gray had a really good story about how he, he, he had his um, early release on a mousetrap, you know, dead mouse's label. And um, you know, he basically participated in their discord channel for a couple of years. They picked him up eventually, but it was, you know, it was a matter of kind of hanging out and getting to know the people and, you know, getting your name recognized but obviously there's multiple different ways to, uh, to make this work. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. You had another really huge success. I I think, um, in October, um, I was looking at your posts on Facebook and you said, uh, tomorrow's going to be the first time I'll be playing with an audience in 20 years. It's been a year since my first release in the pandemic, switching the stage to the live stream. Now it's time to play like it's meant to be in front of you. And you went to Amsterdam and played ADE as your first event in 20 years. Yes. That is, that is amazing. I mean, you know, I think a lot of artists start off at little, you know, corner bars and clubs, but you, your first gig in 20 years was an international event that, how did that happen? Well, um, I've released a lot with, um, with the labels that are part of a, a group called IMT, um, with IMT, with Codex, with uh, set about other labels that are part of that group, and um, I was um, I was going I was on a trip to Europe. I had to go to Europe for something, and and they offered, like, "You're going to be in Europe. You want to come play?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And um, so it happened, and uh, it was really awesome. It was a great experience. Um, I, it wasn't the 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 festival or the conference wasn't like, like every year it was, it wasn't that many people there because it was, you know, the pandemic year and, and they had certain restrictions. Um, but, but it was really, really a great experience um, to meet a okay. lot of people and, and play there. It was kind of huge. Did you, out of curiosity, did they find out that you were going to be in the area because of like, you posted something on Instagram, Hey, I'm going to Europe next week. Or was it, you reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm going to be in the area. I'd love to perform. Or did they, they reach out to you? No, no, none of the, none of the former. Um, 
I was gonna meet with some. I was gonna meet somebody who. Uh, I was going to Europe and we we're gonna meet in, in in Spain, just to hang out. And so they knew that I was gonna be there. Okay. All right. So you 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 got to know the people that. Um... These are folks from record labels there, and you were going out there to meet them anyway. And this was just an opportunity to perform. Well, I was going. I was going to go to Europe. I was going to go to Spain for other things, and I was going to meet them. Like we've met through through the internet, so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be there. Like let's let's meet. So yeah, they knew I was going to be there. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, now. Obviously, you've got. Uh, it, it looks like you've got a dozen plus releases now, um, which is phenomenal for you know just having gotten started back in 2017. Um, you've also branched out a little bit into film scoring. I understand. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, well that was that was before um, techno. Um, I um, somebody that I. A friend of my sister-in-law is making movies, and I guess that I don't know how we got connected. And she said that she needed some music for for a for an independent for an independent film, a film that she was making, and um, and I made a couple of tracks for that, which was really a great experience. Yeah, that's neat. So that was Baby. Now that was out in 2019. So I guess it was in production a couple of years before that. No, I think that um, she the film was already done and, and she was lacking a couple or she was using some track that she didn't like. Um, so I had to adapt to, to the scenes. You know, the scenes were already made. Um, they were already dancing and everything. So I had to make the music to fit what was happening in the film. So it's not that they were dancing to my music. Um, so it was really interesting. That was, I guess that was... When I, after I, I finished that, then I started making techno exclusively. Okay. What, what was your approach looking at, you know, people dancing on a screen and then trying to figure out what the music should sound like? Did you pull out a guitar and just kind of play around with it until you found chords you liked? Or you, did you use a keyboard or did you, or how, how did you approach creating that original music for a existing movie? <laughs> um, I, uh, I guess that I was um, mostly was a feat like I, what felt like I was listening to the music that they had before I, I realized the speed uh, the BPM and I started making I started working with that um, and, and it fit it fit one of them was like a dancing scene the other was more of like a regular like movie scene, um, so I mean this didn't have to be exact, you know, like dancing, um, like a lot. It's not a music video. It's not like a, it's not that. Well, uh, you know, um, like you see something maybe on a scent of a woman, like that they're dancing to like moving exactly to to whatever the the band is, is playing. You know, it's more of like a. But obviously, you know, it has to be something that makes sense. You know, it can't be like. Uh, like they're dancing salsa and then you're going to create like a hip hop track. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that, that certainly sounded like a neat experience. Do you see yourself doing any more scoring for movies? Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to. It's, um, I, I, I've taken, I've, it's, I think it's interesting to see, you know, how 
the, the music and the and visuals, you know, complement each other. And um, like I said, when we watch a movie, it's, we take a lot of the things for granted. And um, I thinking I took a course on that once on on, on, on creating sounds for mu music, but it's not only music; it's sounds for 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 film or for TV because. You know, a lot of the, what we hear, you know, when we hear a, a dinosaur, you know, we're not sampling dinosaurs, you have to create, <laughs> you know, um, or, or a lot of things, you know, helicopters or whatever, you know, all those things are just created or, or before, you know, modern technology, you have to create them with, with household items sometimes, you know, um, it's very, very interesting. And um, music gives um, sense to a lot of movies. You know, the, the, the musical part of it can, you know, we remember music from, from famous movies and for, or from movies, you know, people sing them, the music, it just, it's part of the film. Yeah. And there's also a lot of money in sync licensing too. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think that, that, I mean, in, it, it, it's very hard to, obviously there's music, there's, you know, there may be money in a lot of things, but it's. You know, if, if, if the advice I would, you know, unless you're doing this, you know, 24-7, even if you are, but if you want to have a career or something, like if you want to be a DJ, a techno DJ and a producer, you should probably focus on that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you're going you're gonna to be making uh, music for, for film or TV, you have to be, it's a business, so you have to be in touch with the, with the, the supervisors. You have to know people and you have to do this and that. You have to work maybe with Los Angeles and New York. Well, if you're doing techno, you have to work with, you know, other things. So, um, and, and, and think creatively, we're limited, you know, you know, we, it's not like, like buying a product and selling it. Um, it's only you. So, you know, I would I would really advise people who, who are focusing to to do that, you know, to try to do that exclusively. And yeah. you know, if you make a song and they want to take it in a movie, that's great. But but I think it's uh, yeah, it's hard hard to divide your attention between being a producer, DJ, and making making uh, film scores. Yeah, because it's I mean, for being a producer and a DJ, it's a career. You know, both like. Just like managing social media and stuff like that, it's 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 all part of being a musician nowadays. It's not separate from it. Um, yeah. So it's not only sitting in the studio and making music. You need to to promote yourself. You need to make relationships. You need to go and play somewhere else. Or you need to travel and you need to do all these things that 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 are part of, 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 of what you want to do. If you also, if you want to sit down in a studio and, and make music, different type of music and sell your music. Um, and there's people who do that and that's another career, but, um, to, to, let's say like, I want to be a, a professional techno DJ and producer, and I'm also going to be making music also for, for films. And I'm also going to be producing for other people and stuff like that. Then I guess it can get kind of complicated. Yeah. How do you? So you've got multiple careers, and you've got a family. You know, you, you work. You're one of the principals at the insurance agency. You've got a family, a wife, and at least one child. It looks like online. Uh, you're a DJ. You produce music. How, how do you manage all that? Well, um, it's it's a question of scheduling. 
and and converse and and having honest conversations with with the people around me. I guess when I'm when I'm doing insurance, like when I wake up and when I wake up and I go to the office, I'm doing that. Um, I I have a computer that I use for music production, and I made it. Um, a, I said to myself that I wasn't going to take that to to the office. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't take that to the office um, because I don't want to mix things. You know, sometimes I'll have a meeting or something and try to take it during my lunch hour, and sometimes you know I'll, I'll take a meeting or something. But um, when I get home, I make music, and I, I I have the certain hours that I would do that, and and. With my family, then it's a point of having conversations and, and making agreements um, with, I think mostly with my wife, you know, and, and it's <laughs> to be, you know, this time is for the family, this time I can do music, or this time sometimes I'll do a little bit of both because my studio is at home, so I have to, you know, get up, get up and help with something and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes, you know, um, sacrifice certain things like we you know what we used to watch tv after dinner and sometimes i can't do that i'll I'll focus on on if i need to finish something a track or whatever i'll I'll tell you like tonight i can't do that and and it's fine you know we all make our own plans but i guess that it's just having the time to to pay attention to everything and um i guess that a lot a lot of times and it's no, we'd say like if I don't dedicate so so much and so much time, then I'm not gonna be able to do it. And then, you know, I, I feel or the person feels like you know I'm not giving enough time, and then you start like blaming other people for for not being able to, to, to do your own thing, your thing. But it's really that it's just like an excuse not to do the thing. You know, if I'm like I would say just because I have a family, like I can't make music. My family doesn't allow me to make music, and I think it's just. A lot of times, it's just things that we say to ourselves because we're not being able to 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 do what we want because of something else, and we blame, you know, the easy easy culprits, you know, like work or family, and I need to quit work and I need to do this. And I realize that, you know, if I have the right mindset, I can do all the things. Um, you know, I can do the three things. You know, I can work and I can have my family or I can do my nine to five. I can have my family. And I can also be a, a DJ and a producer. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. It seems to be working really well for you. Now you also, on top of that, you've got, uh, I was looking on Instagram and you've got the uh, dialectic live, a techno movement in Panama. Can you, can you give us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, when, when I started, when I wanted to start playing, people um, tell tell me, you know, you can't play techno in Panama. You're not gonna be able to play techno. People don't like techno, and you know, we don't want you to play and whatever. So I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna start making my own parties. And and you know, and I, I believe that techno is something that could be played. You know, it's played in Colombia and it's very popular, and and other Latin American countries. Why not in Panama? Mm-hmm. And um, so we started with that in November, and um, and um, so far we've got a good reception from the public. Um, had like a, a very good party in, in late November, mid-November, with um, Julia Fox from some German, based out of Germany, and then we had Claudia Gaulas from also from Germany. In December thirty-first, we had a really good party. 
and now we have another party and this Friday with uh, Oscar L from Spain. So basically that. Uh, okay. So you're, you're taking on the role of an event promoter and uh, are you hiring these DJs to come to the parties and then managing all that as well? Or is, how are you? Yeah. What's your uh, role there? Um, well, I'm the owner of the, of the, of the company. Um, so I organize. I have a team, but I, I bring the DJs, I find the DJs, I hire them and up to their agencies and um, I find a place here to make the party and make, try to make the party. Awesome. Okay. So you are building the techno scene in Panama. Trying to, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like, it looks like it's going well. It, it's interesting because my, my very first guest on the Producer Life podcast, this was uh, 18 months ago, was Lauren Hardy, who started Bass Night Orlando. His his big thing is bass music. There was no bass scene in in uh, Orlando, Florida, and he worked at it for took him like three or four years. But he has built it into a weekly event, and he's got. The last time I went to one, he had three hundred people showing up on a Monday night wow. to listen to bass music. I mean, it it's wow. insane. He's got a a huge following and um, he also DJs for it and then brings in the, the artists. And uh, anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll have to send you a link to that episode. You might be interested in hearing it, but he's, he's done exactly what you're trying to do just with a different genre and different place. Well, that's really interesting. And it's really it's motivating, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it absolutely can work. You know, he's, he's an example of building the scene that he wants for the music he loves. So very cool. And I, I wish you big, good luck. Um, so as, as a producer and, and I guess also talking about dialectic live, what's next this year, what are you guys doing in 2022? Well, um, I have a, as a producer, I have an EP coming out this Friday, um, with, uh, and Codex, um, it's a techno label, um, it's a two track EP and, um, there's some interesting things coming up in the year. Um, I really can't announce them yet, but some interesting projects. And um, for for dialectic, we're we're gonna do different type of parties. We're gonna do parties to promote like a local scene with local DJs. And we're gonna do more like a regional parties with um, sort of like regional DJs that are close in the area. Maybe trying to 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 also bring Latin American DJs to Panama and have little you know, Panamanian DJs go to other Latin American countries, and then are big um, events which are going to be um, no, not as often, but hopefully once a month with a big name international DJ. You can have like a, a big event here in Panama um, and hopefully um, eventually export it. We're making um, connections with a lot of uh, Latin American colleagues and Europeans and trying to, and also in the United States and trying to maybe expand, uh, internationally, but that's something, uh, for the future. Okay. Well, that's, that's phenomenal. And what is the name of the EP that's coming out on Friday, January 21st? Um, the hunt, the hunt. Okay. I will link that this, this episode will come out after that. So, uh, but, but it will be linked in the show notes and, uh, definitely looking forward to giving that a listen. Perfect. 
I really oh, appreciate, yeah. appreciate that. And I really appreciate, you know, taking the time to, to interview me and obviously taking me into, into account for this. Absolutely. It's been, it's been my pleasure. Where can people find you online, Bruce? Well, right now um, building my website, but um, Instagram is the best uh, platform. Um, Bruce Salter Music is my my Instagram, and uh, my music is in all major platforms uh, for streaming and for uh, downloading, and you can get it in uh, iTunes and Beatport if you want. Like the original DJ tracks will be in Beatport. Okay, fantastic. I will, uh, again, make sure to link all those in the show notes page and uh, I sincerely appreciate your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time for this. Thank you so much for listening. I'll have links for everything in the show notes. So head over to producerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 94. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. That would be a huge help. And as always, until next week, This is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.